Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me Dan and Robert Zengari. They're the authors of A Prince's Errand, which is book one of Tales of the Amulet. Go ahead and introduce yourselves, and I have done a little bit of research on this book, and it sounds like that this story has had a long history. Hi, I'm I'm Dan Zangari. Um, I'm kind of the impetus behind this whole thing um, with the stories that I come up with when he was just a baby, and uh, so yeah, we can talk a little bit more about it. And I'm Robert, of course, his son. But yep. So, what was the genesis of this story? Um, I, on your bio on your website, it says that you started back in the early 80s, maybe late 70s, uh, you know, this thing marinating in your head? Yeah, I had um, I had gotten involved um, when I was in college with uh, Dungeons and Dragons. It was just, you know, early and uh, it was just kind of coming out. And, um, and plus, before that, I had read a lot of fantasy uh, books growing up. And so... Um, I started getting these ideas in my head about, well, what, what, what would I, because in Dungeons and Dragons, you know, you have, you, you, you basically have a world that's kind of created and you go off of that. And I would, I started thinking, well, what would it be if I could, if I created my own world or my own universe, uh, for like Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of was the initial impetus for me anyway in starting to think about this stuff and then it kind of evolved over time where i actually started coming up with characters places started with a map and you know just kind of drawing out a map of of where the location of all of these places were and uh, and then just kind of started the story started coming together and when he was young I, I would um, write, I would sit down on our dining room table and draw these maps out and had an old typewriter at, at the time and uh, which started just typing up just kind of a, a storyline kind of a thing. That's kind of how it really, really got started. And then I uh, later, after, after Robert graduated high school, I started thinking more and more about you know, it might be a good idea to actually write these and maybe, maybe write a book. Maybe, maybe that, that would work. When I write, it's, it's more general, it's more broad, it's more, it's more general type stuff. And so I, I always knew that I would have a hard time. And Robert's really good at the details and, and, and uh, coming up with uh, defining the plots, plot lines and, and the characters and, and all the stuff that you really need to do. I mean, I was just playing around at, 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 at writing stuff. It was very, very simplistic, very basic. But the ideas were there and the concepts were all there. We just needed to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this to really make it uh, good? And, you know, really make a story that we would want to want to publish. Because before then, it was just fun. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. just, ah, we're talking, uh, you know, I'd talk about this stuff and think about it and, uh, and uh, like I said, draw maps, draw. Sometimes we, we even took a, uh, a shot at drawing up uh, a, one of the dungeons in the, uh, the storyline. So, but, it, you know, it, it was something that it kind of evolved over time. And so, Robert, you're being told these stories as a, as a youth. Were, was the story always going on in your head? So when, like your, your father said that it's more of a general, like when you guys decided to write it together. Did you already have stuff in place where you're like, Oh yeah, I want to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. I actually wrote an introduction a few days ago on a group in Facebook about this. And um, they were like, what was your first introduction to fantasy? And I thought, well, actually my stories that I'm writing were the first introduction because I remember him telling me, you know, all the stories and it was more of a kind of an oral story that he shared and it was it it shifted you know a little bit here and there but the general concept was, was present mm -hmm. and so 
So I kind of was in my head and that kind of cemented for me what fantasy was. You know, as a kid, I always thought, oh, that'd be really cool if dad published these books. And I always kind of had daydreamed about that. And uh, I thought, you know, at the time, I didn't think anything of it, of me ever helping him. But I did have a lot of ideas. And like you said, we came up with a dungeon once and it was in, I think I was 16. Because mm-hmm. um, he, had, he had done a lot of work for about 10 years. So it was like 2001. And he had most of one book written, which is now going to be our book seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And he had taken it to a an author friend that was a colleague at work at where he uh, was working at, was it PRW or Northrop at the time? It was. Um, yeah, we just became Northrop. Anyway, he, he's an engineer by profession. Um, but he ended up, she or she ended up telling him, you're kind of starting in the middle. And uh, so he decided, well, let's go back and um, start from the beginning. And so part of that process, we came up with the setting for what uh, we had previously published it as Secrets of Murda and the Elven Secret. Um, and so we, it was this pyramid fortress and we ended up, uh, you know, drawing out a dungeon plan and, and having like these different levels and stuff. And I still have that in my files and uh, it looks totally different than what it actually is in the books now. Uh-huh. So maybe we'll use it for something else, some some other place. But um, but yeah, I remember doing that, and I created a sketch um, for the setting, and it was this pyramid that was overlooking a city, and uh, it was kind of a, you know, for me at the time when I was working on, it, I was like, oh, this is cool, but that was better. This is fantastic because <clears throat> there are authors that are, or want to be authors that want to be successful. You guys have stuck with this journey for a long time and are, are just, you know, putting out these books. Even though you've written some, you've reworked them, stuff that, you know, you might not use, um, you, you did that. Um, and it's a good, I guess, reinforcement of enjoy what you do, but don't fall in love with it as much that you don't need to change it when, when it's necessary. Yeah. yeah. So what kind of resources do you use to keep track of all this stuff? I mean, th- I got... You guys were generous enough to give me the first book, and this thing, you know, it's, it's like a, a Will of Time or, you know, a Stormlight Archive type book. Like, how do you keep track of all these things? And you plan to do it, um, an epic, kind of sounds like 10, 12 books. Is that correct? Uh, mostly Word documents. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're pretty old school. <laughs> So you just have files on everything and do you guys have both have access? So if you change something, you guys can both do that. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> yeah. We, you want to, well, ahead. I was just going to say one of the things we've done is we've kind of come up with a encyclopedia may not be the right word, but, yeah. but we've come up with a, a concept of the, the, this is the way the world is. This is the history of it. Here's how, here's some concepts. Here's how the magic system works. And so we built this framework of, because I always wanted it to be something like it's believable, even though it's fantasy, Mm -hmm. that if this is evil, it's not, oh, well, wait a minute. You guys said this in this book and now you just change. No, I want it to be consistent and believable and explainable and explain it. Yes. And explainable. <laughs> we have to be able to explain it. <clears throat> so we've kind of come up with this, like I said, like an encyclopedia kind of thing. That's where, what it's called. Well, the okay. File. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the file is lore encyclopedia. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why I thought that. <laughs> uh, okay. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> um, so so yes we have this thing and it is an encyclopedia and it's exactly what he said it's the lore it's the background it's everything that makes this world work and so to try to be consistent because you you just hit on something that's very important to me and i think is important to anybody that reads fantasy is 
you want to be able to, as you're reading these stories, and we, like you said, you know, we have we have 12 main novels planned out. And then we got these side, you know, books. Given that we've got such a large um, set of books to write, we need to make sure, we need to make sure that there's consistency there. And so we come up with this encyclopedia to help us do that so, so that we can have a consistent product from one book to another. And, and part of it too is we talk about this stuff. And as we go along and we're building the story, we're like, okay, wait a minute. What did we say over here? So we kind of go back when we were writing the first, the first, which now are, you know, later in the series, we were, we were doing that kind of thing where we say, oh, let's go back to this. Well, what did we say here? We got to make sure that it's consistent and that we didn't contradict ourselves. So we do a lot of that going back and forth. It takes time, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, you need to do that. I feel like you need to do that as an author um, so you're credible. So your books are credible. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will actually go back and I have, <clears throat> we didn't have those produced in audio, but I have a add-on for Word that is a text-to-speech um add-on and it uh i would go back through and i would listen to the past books or or the past chapters and i can export those to mp3s and so i had done that um just for reference and uh i I do go back and do that now that we have a uh, that we're working on the second book in the series I have been going back and listening to the audiobook version of A Prince's Errand and saying, okay, I, I remember I talked about this in chapter 57. Uh, and what did they say exactly? And so I'll, I'll go back. I'll also, um, what's nice with the, the Kindle app is that you can just put a keyword in. So I'll like, okay, what did I say here with this? And then it'll pull up everything that ever was there. Mm-hmm. And, and so for, for that word, and that's been helpful. So we do a lot of rereading. And I mean, I think I've personally read A Prince's Errand and or listened to it minus the the runs of editing at least five times. If you include all those editing, add another 10. <laughs> so, you know, I, I know the story fairly well. And you don't know the story fairly well yet but you will, but that that's kind of cross-referencing having um, that lore encyclopedia. And, and one thing we do, at least what I do, because I, I handle it mostly and I just send him copies. Uh, if I come up with a new idea, then I put it in there immediately. So it's preserved as it was conceived uh, because, you know, you'll kind of get ideas and then, It'll, you're, it'll warp in your head over time and it'll become something else. And if you, you know, don't come back to it, you'll partially forget what, what did I do? Yeah. And when you have that reference there, that it'll work. For instance, uh, I actually had to do this recently with um, a companion story to the <clears throat> prisoner of Tartalum. And I had come up with this whole idea where I, uh, part of another part of the magic system and it's outside of our main rule set uh, because it pertains to some of the gods. And so I decided, okay, I need to write all this down, even though it's not there in the story, but I, it just it came to me. So it's like a page worth of information and background. And some of that stuff is actually going to be relevant for like the latter part of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so it was like, whoa. So for, for us when we're creating that a lot of times, you know, we'll be working on something and say, Ooh, I got an idea for something else that could work later on that this will tie into. And then I go and record it there in that file and I'll talk to him about it. And sometimes we'll, sometimes we'll change it, you know, just in discussion of, Hey, I got this idea. And then he's like, well, what if we do this? And then that gives me an idea to change it. And I'm like, Oh yeah. And then that would cause this to happen and this, 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 and this. Um, And so, you know, I guess establishing this framework outside of our actual narrative 
has been what made making a prince's errand and the others uh, fairly easy to keep track of. So as a, a duo team, um, what are you guys' do you guys have specific roles that you do or do you just kind of work together? What do you, what's the specific roles that you do? Uh, so I'm mainly in charge of the prose. So like the words that people read that that's me. Okay. Um, but we brainstorm together. Uh, we will the plots. He already created the majority of everything like throughout the nineties and the early two thousands, we know exactly all the major events and all the conflicts and all the things that need to happen. And I'm kind of the person that it's like, okay, how, how are we going to get from point A to point B? And sometimes we have to meander a bit and hit, you know, points, you know, C through Z along the way. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Before we can get back to B. You know, at first we started writing together. It didn't really work out as well, but right now it's we we've kind of found our groove where we plan together, um, and then he'll go and he'll review stuff after I'm done writing it, uh, and we kind of have this process where we plan a chapter, and then I write it, and then we review the chapter, and then plan the next chapter, and we just kind of go through that cycle over and over until we get done with the whatever story we're working on at the time. Uh, if it's a shorter story, I, we mostly plot it together and then I just write it. Like yeah. we have a short story coming up for an anthology um, of other indie authors um, that we came up with the idea together. We plotted it together and then I wrote it. It was, it was about 10,000 words, I think. And so uh, you know, that that would be the equivalent of like two or three chapters. It was okay for us to, for me to go through, finish the whole thing and then say, okay, dad, what do you think about this? And then we went back and he, you know, read it and we kind of, you know, discussed some of the points. And sometimes if I end up getting stuck in a chapter, I'll call him up and we'll be like, so what do we want to do with this? This is what I've got. How do we want to proceed? And then we'll, you know, figure out yeah. what, what it is there. Yeah. Because sometimes we'll back the characters into a corner, as it were, mm-hmm. and say, okay, how are, we, how are these guys going to get out of this? How are the, how is it? And then we got to back up and say, well, wait a minute. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> not put them into that situation in the first place. <laughs> so we have to go back and, and maybe backtrack and, and, and do things a little differently. But, uh, but yeah, it's like he says, it, it kind of, it works. It works really well. Cause like, like I was saying earlier, when I would write a lot of it, we were using as uh, a storyboard now, you know, that stuff that I wrote that I thought was detailed, not really, not, not as detailed as what you really need uh-huh. when you, when you write a novel. So it was more of a storyline. It was more of a, you know, background kind of stuff. So but it's good because we use that to build from. So, and he's a better writer. He, he's, and, and, but, but, and, and some of the stuff, you know, he's done things with other authors that has, that has helped him grow as an author. And, and I think that's great. I, I just, I guess I don't have the patience. <laughs> some of that you know it's just and i'm older so so after you you it sounds like you guys kind of have the 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 do plan review for each chapter so what are your writing habits when you when you go to write so what works best for me is first thing in the morning um i'll have a routine and i'm pretty particular like it getting interrupted and mainly because i know this is what unlocks creativity um, and so I'll get up. Uh, first thing I'll do is I'll um, read my scriptures and then I will get some food and or exercise and then get some food and then shower. And a lot of the times what I'll do is I'll take the shower as an opportunity to focus on what I'm writing for the day. And then I'll get a lot of visuals while I'm just there thinking And sometimes I'll get visuals for other things. Like 
how I mentioned, oh, you know, an idea came to me and I've got to go write it down. So that's like, oh, okay. Uh, but typically what I'll do is I'll go write that down after I get, you know, down to my desk and, and then I continue on with the writing. Um, and I found what works best for me is when nobody else is awake. If I'm completely alone, if I'm isolated, um, then I do really well with, with writing. And I can just kind of be there in the moment with the characters, feeling what they're feeling. And it's, uh, I tend to, um, sometimes I'll have headphones on just to kind of cancel out the ambient noise. Um, and then I'll have uh, different soundtracks of things. I don't really typically like to listen to any music that has lyrics because I'll distract me. Um, but I, I tend to have something on that will fit the mood of whatever I'm writing that moment. And then I'll spend a few hours. Sometimes I'll only get two or three hours in before I have to help my wife with other things or take care of the kids or, or go to appointments. Um, and this last year, it's kind of been really uh, disruptive with this little one because she's, she's a special needs child. She's got a feeding tube. And so we've had a lot of appointments, a lot of therapy, so get things done. And so I, I try to get a block of time that's uninterrupted. And then in the evenings, we'll work on the, the planning, the editing. Um, what I like to do is write a chapter. And after I'm done writing it, then I'll review it. And I'll review it with that text to speech. And that kind of helps me weed out any things that I miss. Like I will tend to forget the word the a lot. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, I need a the there. And I end up, you know, going through, I'll listen to that after I'm done, whether that be at the end of my writing block or at the beginning of what I do in the evenings uh, after the kids go to bed. Um, and that's usually when we do our planning time. Because then I'll send him, once I get done, I'll be like, hey, I wrote a chapter, go read it. And then he'll read it in the afternoon. And then uh, we'll talk about it in the evening and then plan the next chapter. Um, and then typically before I go to bed, I like to review what I've got planned for the next thing. And for me, that helps me, you know, I can, well, I'm going, trying to go to sleep. I can visualize what's happening. Sometimes I'll get huge visuals and I've got to go write the chapter because it's just like, boom. And so <laughs> they're saying I've stayed up all night because I'm just writing. <laughs> and, uh, there's only been a few instances where that's happened, uh, but it happens a couple times in each book. But that's our typical routine, and I found found it best if I can get up early and then go. But if I if I end up having other things that have come and disrupted that schedule, or that I can't get a full block in in the morning, I I try to write at night after everything calms down, but I don't nearly get as much done as I would if I had stuck to my routine. So being self-published, um, you guys are in charge of everything, the, the editing, the cover art, the promotion and stuff like that. Um, you guys have a wonderful cover. Um, this thing is beautiful by uh, Kareem Bayette. Is that how you say his name? Yep. Yeah. Um, how did you go about finding your cover artist and, and what, how did that happen? So I was just looking at random pictures of dragons and I'm like, I want to find an illustrator that, uh, that does good dragons. We had looked at a few other artists that were here in the U S and part of the problem was that they were really expensive. <laughs> and like, uh, I don't know if we can swing seven to $10,000 for a cover. Um, you know, I really love Stephen Ewell's artwork that he had done for the death gate cycle. And I thought those dragons are gorgeous, mm -hmm. but he's one of those that are, are a lot more expensive. And so I was like, okay, well let's look and see if we can find someone else. So I was just browsing Google images and I found this one and it was actually key art for a board game that uh, Kareem had done. 
I can't remember the name of it, but it's this woman standing with a dragon. And then there's in the, uh, in the background, there's these two other dragons, a red and a blue one, I think, that are fighting in the air. And I thought, holy cow, this guy's good. So I went and I looked at the rest of his stuff and it turned out that he had done, he had started to do a lot of the key art for an uh, online game that my dad and I played, which I didn't realize it was his, uh, the, for EverQuest and EverQuest 2. So I was like, oh, wow. So this guy does some, you know, top-notch stuff. And I started digging deeper and he'd done art for Dungeons and Dragons. I found his email and then just sent, shot him an email and said, hey, I saw you you take commissions. Uh, would you be interested in uh, working with us to produce a covers for a 12 book series? And I said, we want to kind of that old, the classic fantasy look that uh, you would have found like in the 80s or 90s. And I said, we have at least 12 novels planned and um, we would love to have the same artist for the whole thing. And we've got some other side stuff too. So he replied back and said, yeah, I'll do it. And so I was like, wow, that was easy. I just had to ask him. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. And his art is um, reminiscent of that 80s and 90s, a lot of Daryl K. Sweet. That's that's what it feels like. Dan, you, you said you played Dungeons and Dragons, and that's kind of what drew you to, to creating this story. What drew you to fantasy in general, the, the genre? I started off reading when I was junior high, high school, and a lot of it was science fiction type stuff. I, um, I grew up watching the, the reruns of the original Star Trek series when it, was, when it went into syndication in the early 70s after the series was already way done, past done. So I was more into science fiction, and then I don't know what exactly changed, but I started reading um, more fantasy-type stuff. I guess I got, I kind of got hooked on Tolkien's um, Lord of the Rings. A friend of mine in high school, I think that's what happened, uh, a friend of mine in high school, hey you ought to read this this is pretty cool stuff and he got really into it and so i started reading it i read the hobbit and then when i got into college i found a, I, I found a copy i got a copy of the silmarillion and read that while i was in college mm -hmm. and i got really hooked on that uh, and then i went back and reread uh, lord of the rings and i guess and i can't remember exactly what year it was 79 or 80 somewhere around there they came out with a cartoon version of lord of the rings it was just like the first half really and and then then, then they never finished it which really kind of actually they did. well they did later on oh i guess yeah. it might have been it must have been later because it wasn't at the time it happened that way it just kind of evolved and and then I started reading a little bit more, um, more and more different kinds of, of, of fantasy, um, the Death Gates uh, stories and, and, and things like that. And so, but still, I mean, I was still reading science fiction. I was reading Asimov. And so I was kind of a mix. It was kind of a mixed bag for me throughout my younger years. And then I got more interested after we actually, after we built this house in 1989, I was getting more interested in, uh, you know, religious type no novels and stuff. But still, I, you know, we'll go back to the science fiction, science fantasy uh, genre whenever I can get my hands on a, on a book. But um, that, that kind of is where it was the genesis for me. And, and Robert, you said earlier in the interview that you've kind of always been a fan because of your father. Um, outside of what your father was telling you and, and these stories, what what kind of, do you remember kind of your first book outside of that that you that you read that you enjoyed? Um, yeah, the the first thing that I read was Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and there was a it only has a couple of the books in it, but um, our neighbors uh, who were from England, they had given it to me for I think it was my sixth birthday. 
And um, that was the first fantasy book I read. And I thought it was really cool because at the time, my dad was writing Portal Fantasy because that was essentially what he was coming up. And that's what essentially Chronicles of Narnia is. So that was my first book introduction. Uh, but I think what really started my love for the genre was The Legend of Zelda. And uh, we playing Link to the Past with yeah. my dad when for think five, six, because it was 92, I think. Yeah. Um, I thought, whoa, this is so cool. You know, and I, I love the whole idea of, of fantasy. And one of my favorite uh, Disney movies that I enjoyed watching was The Sword in the Stone. And then Sleeping Beauty, because, you know, there's dragons in those two. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of my early genesis of what I liked then. And then I read a lot of Forgotten Realms as I was growing up, uh, Salvatore mostly. Um, and that that kind of was like, okay, I love this part of fantasy and, and, and other video games, mostly advanced Dungeons and Dragons, like Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, Neverwinter Nights, EverQuest, EverQuest 2. Uh, and those games kind of, you know, broaden my horizons, so to speak, of, of fantasy and, and kind of shape my framework of what I think the genre sh should look like. Are there any modern authors or or even past authors that you look up to that that, that have influenced you? Uh, for me, David Farland has been one of the most influential people for me, uh, mainly because I've studied with him. But I I loved his I love his fantasy. He's he's great. Precision to detail and explaining things in a way that like what my dad was trying to was saying earlier that it seems you know believable and explainable um <clears throat> so for me farland is one so is sanderson you know mainly because everything i feel like every time i listen to sanderson i'm just listening to dave <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know those two uh are probably some of the guys that i look up to the most um that are contemporary fantasy authors and uh and of course uh, salvatore i i love bob's work and everything that he's done and all the, all the different stories he's written. And so, yeah, I, I would I like say those three, those three are probably the ones I look up to most. What about you? Dan, do you have any? I, I think, yeah. Salvatore is one. Margaret Wise and Tracy Hickman, their stories. I really get into though. I really like those um and of course like i said tolkien i mean he that was the i cut my teeth on reading tolkien and then reading some of his life and his history and a lot of the things that he did i think he's one of the greatest he is and he has influenced so many people to get into the genre it's it's fantastic yeah. and you you said that you know you kind of reworked some books and stuff and and you you know the books that were first, second, third, and maybe in the series are now the sixth, seventh, and eighth. But to create this um, story that's coherent and stuff, you know, as an independent author, you can't rely on yourself. Like you, you had to go out and find like an editor to make sure it's okay. Like how did you go about finding a, a, a good editor that would help you in this epic story? We So we've gone through a few, but ultimately the, the editor that's been helping us now, I found her through Michael J. Sullivan. I had contacted Michael about Kickstarter information and just kind of pick his brain a little bit about if I'm going to put a Kickstarter together, how do I make this successful? Um, and he gave me a lot of information and he pretty much said, you know, copy what I did. And that's essentially what I've done. And then while I was looking at that, I was like, well, he's got some editors that he's listed. So I checked them out and Linda was one of them on there and she's the one that we work with. And so I reached out to Linda and said, Hey, I, I found you on Michael's Kickstarter. And I was in, wondering if you'd be interested in working with us to, you know, edit our fantasy novels. They're, you know, they're pretty big. And so I, she replied, said, yeah, send me a sample and, you know, I'll see if it's, you know, up to snuff. And if, if it is, then we'll work together. I said, yep, we can work together. And so, again, it was, you know, with with our old books, it seemed to struggle because we tried, we 
we were looking at all kind of the mid list people and the mid list people, editors, cover designers, they were all so busy. It was, it was hard to try to find somebody. And then when we decided, well, we're going to redo everything. Let's just go top notch. We want like the best. So we did that with our cover and then it just happened. And then we did that with our editor and that fell into place. So I thought, well, hopefully three times the charm when we go and, you know, so when we were looking to get the book turned into an audio book, we thought, well, we want our top narrator, which was Michael Kramer. So again, I emailed him. I knew that he was, him and his wife were looking to uh, work with indie authors, but they hadn't put up their website yet. So I contacted them and then asked him and said, hey, um, you know, I've got this project. This is, you know, this huge thing. We've already, you know, got these other top-notch professionals working with us and we would love to work with you. So again, sent them the manuscript. And then uh, Michael came back a few days later and said, I'm in. I think one thing that a lot of new authors might overlook is looking at the cream of the crop and thinking, oh, I, they're too busy. They're, they're, they're going to be too expensive. And yes, there is a price tag that comes with that quality, but it is worth it. I think it cost us, what was it? 27,000 for a Prince's errand. Yeah. Um, when all the production costs are said and done with editing, cover art, audiobook, audio uh, engineering, and the mastery and all that, but it's been worth it. Like it's, you know, more than paid for itself and it paid for the production of the Prisoner of Tartarus. Going that direction has been part of the reason why I think we've had more success because we got a team of professionals that are working with us. And as an independent author, you got to stand out. And that's one way to do it. Because there's so many people that can just write up a manuscript, hire a, you know, a cover for Amazon. And so there's this sea of, of ever growing, you know, independent authors, and it's hard to stand out. But I think you stand out by having that top notch quality. And that only comes from having a team, because you can't do it all on your own. It's just, it's impossible. You would have to be, you know, a, you know, an expert in all those fields. You guys have hit the the nail on the head here. Like, you you look at the top people. You know, David Farland. You worked with him. Um, you know, Kareem Bayet, Michael Kramer. And you think, okay, I'll never, I'll uh, you know, they'll, they'll never want to work with me. But a lot of times, lots of people have that same attitude. And so they really don't get asked that much or, or because of, of that reason. Like they, people think that they're on a pedestal. And I found one of the nicest people in David Farland. Um, you know, he is, I, I, I interviewed him um, back before I even had anything. Like I didn't even have a website. And he was, I contacted him. He said, yeah, I'll interview you. And I was like, this is crazy because I don't have any credibility I don't, know, I don't have a leg to stand on, but he's, he is so giving and, and he spent time with me, you know? And, and another thing, um, this is kind of side point. Like, I don't think the world gives David Farland enough credit for what he's brought yes. to the world. Um, you know, he's taught you, Brandon Sanderson, Brandon Mole, Stephanie Meyer, you know, like there's just so many people that, um, he has taught that has become giants of this industry that i just think he gets more credit well it we wouldn't even have harry potter here in the u.s because scholastic yeah. was gonna ditch it and dave said no pick this and he presented that huge marketing plan for them which was unheard of by scholastic and when they when they went to barnes and noble to request all that space barnes and noble was like whoa and then they did it and Harry Potter was a success here in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. And that story is amazing. He talked about that. And I told him that he should write J.K. Rowling, Joe Rowling, and get a commission for every every book he's <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> 10% cut. <laughs> no, it also sounds like that not only writing, like you guys have stayed pretty strong in the genre with video games and role-playing games and, and stuff like that. Do you still, are you still able to do that? Or does this series take up most of your time? 
Oh, we'll occasionally play. Um, we uh, recently, <clears throat> well, I, I bought the new Dungeons and Dragons um, RPG that came out for the PlayStation, PlayStation 5 or 4 and 5 um, and surprised him with that for his birthday. And uh, and so we've both played a little bit. Yeah, I think the, the first two missions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Having got as much as I wanted to, I, I started playing it one night and um, I was just like, okay, I got to go to bed. I got to stop. That, that, that's the <laughs> same thing that I'm happened getting, to I'm me getting, too. I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> when I was in college, I could stay up all night playing oh, D&D. Oh, <laughs> no, that's fantastic. I do have to give another shout out to um, your illustrator who does your chapter stuff, um, Suleiman Timir. Yeah. That's another unique touch that you guys have done in your book that not a lot of people do is those those chapter um, decorations. Like, is that something that you wanted to to stand out, or you know, because a lot of fantasy books in the old days kind of had that, and they've kind of away from it. Yeah, yeah. We always wanted to have some type of of illustration. You know, I, when I started reading Stormlight, and I was looking at what studying what Brandon was doing with that. And there's an actual visual story that goes with each of those chapter headings. I mean, it shows, you know, you have the icon that shows you the POV character, but the, the heralds that come on that arch are pertinent to that chapter, especially if a herald shows up, it's like, oh, (laughs) holy cow. And so we wanted to do something similar. Granted, our, we have a lot more pieces on our chapter headings, but we have that same visual cue that tells the reader this is who you're reading about this is Caius's storyline and then the other symbols uh the six larger ones are uh, they typically show what type of magic users are in that chapter and then the smaller ones are the different channels of magic or the channels of power that are used in the chapter and sometimes there's there's actually one chapter that You'll, if chapter nine in a prince's errand it looks different because it has all of the different channels that are used because we didn't want to just say hey there's you know we, there's some a lot more information here and so we ended up you know saying okay we're gonna put that there but we essentially what we did was we hired uh suleiman to uh to create those and he's he's actually kareem's apprentice oh, okay we said, okay, we need all these parts. Can you give us these parts? And then we, what I do is every time I write a chapter, I make a list of all the things that need to be there. And then I will go and I'll, I'll put it together. It took me a while to, to get all the pieces in place, but now I can just open up the master file in Photoshop, turn on the layers that I need to, and then save it as a JPEG. And there's my chapter heading you know and so i think it was what about four thousand dollars i think to yeah. get those we're using them across all of our books so yeah it's, so it's you know we figure one-time payment and you can use them for yeah, one time payment yeah yeah it'll be worth it you know over the course of all the books i think it came out to be like 700 bucks um and of course we're going to need more as we introduce more characters we'll need more of those uh, uh character icons that are in the center but that one we wanted initially. I wanted to have a sideways dragon eye, like what is on our um, logo for Lock Publishing, and uh, and that was kind of the the theme. There was it's the sideways eye, and the pupil is the character. Um, so there were those kind of things that didn't quite come out, and I think it looked better than what I had envisioned. Um, and I I like the touch of the two dragons that are on there and and we wanted to we wanted something to scream this is there's dragons here even though you don't see a dragon on the cover you don't see a dragon necessarily in the first chapter or you know very much throughout the book Mm -hmm. but we just wanted to say hey remind our readers and and hint to them hey (laughs) it will be in this story and then another shout out is the cartographer which is Robert. Yep. Uh, it, you can see behind me the all the different maps. Yeah. Uh, that we've done. Those were the earlier versions. 
that started out, I took his maps and was like, you know, I just want to make them better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I did a lot of hand drawing maps and it, back in the day, about 10 years ago, I uh, ended up uh, doing a lot of hand drawing and then I would scan it into my computer and then retrace it in Photoshop. And and that was just so much work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and recently I ended up buying a pen tablet um, to use. So it's just straight there and I can just right there on the computer. And it's great. I love it. And so I've kind of now streamlined the process a little bit because like these maps behind me, um, I believe it took me about 60 hours to create the the big one there in the center. And I created it with, you know, pixel by pixel, having to retrace it. And it was so much work. But yeah, I really enjoy the maps. I love drawing maps. I've never done a city map until now. So book two of the Dark Necromancer is actually going to have a city map of Soroth. So that's like, okay, I've got, you know, probably six to nine months before I need it ready, but I'm just going to work on it when I have some spare time and, and, you know, kind of spend my time mulling over the city. Cause I've got the idea in my head of where the city is. I know the major locations and we have distances from our past books and in lore encyclopedia that, you know, the, these certain compounds are this big. There's, uh, you know, they're this far apart from everything else. I like filling in the details. I guess uh, that was a lie. I have done a city map before. I did do it for the city of Alath, and it was, but it was more of a general map, and it was more road lines and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, I love the cartography. I love doing the map stuff and all the resources I ended up getting was from the the cartographers guild online which is a free guild that anybody can join they can get resources there i think the website is just cartographerguild.com but it's great they they even have like little competitions where you can submit your art uh there's tutorials um there's also different examples of of different styles of map art and and it's all fantasy Uh uh it's all that fantasy genre um, it's just a wonderful tool. So every time anybody's like asking about maps, I always say, go to the cartographer's guild because they've got great stuff. Nice. And any resources that you can get into to have a hive mind where people can help you is, is a great thing for, for especially independent authors. Yeah. So to wrap up, uh, you kind of mentioned the, the, the book two, the dark necromancer, um, you said you were working on the map and you said, even though you have six to nine months, is that kind of the projection of when the next book is going to be out? Yeah. Um, we already have the cover for it. Yeah. I saw online. The cover looks magnificent. Is this right here? And, uh, we've actually been sitting on this long before we published a Prince's Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was going to go much faster. And, uh, and then, you know, life happened. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so speaking of life happening, are you guys going to be able to go anywhere else? You went to FanX just a couple of weeks ago. Or are you guys planning on going to any more conventions or, or um, we are like going to have a, we've scheduled a signing for black Friday in the Layton Hills mall um, here in Utah. Um, so we're going to do that there. And I think there was um, a couple other shows we were looking at doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were considering uh, the one in Denver um, and we had some of our friends that live there offered to put us up if we, you know, and if we let them, uh, you know, help us at the booth. And so I was like, okay, that, that might work. So we're, I don't know if we're going to do that one or not. Um, but definitely next year, because I would like to have do more of a circuit and be able to go yeah. to all those different cons and, even if we could just, you know, figure out something here in the West where we could just go from con to con to con. Um, I think it'd be great because there's, we met so many new readers and we did a couple, a couple dozen people came up to us that had actually said, Oh, we loved your book. And, and 
said, you know, we're so excited for the next one. And, but for the most part, it was meeting new people. And that's, I think one of the great things about going to the cons is you can find a lot of new readership. Um, I know my friend, Matthew Wolf, who has written the Ronin saga, he's done a lot of cons and he's met a lot of people and, and sold a lot of, a lot of books going to those cons. So they're definitely profitable. And like Fanex was profitable for yeah, us. Yeah, it was. Um, it was great. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I would love to do that just, you know, for the sake of getting the word out and meeting new people. And, you know, yeah, making the money is just an extra that. perk. It <laughs> just allowing us to actually do, you know, do the meeting. Uh, well, <laughs> it's fun to go to those. I mean, like you say, we, we meet new people. Um, we, we just, it's just fun to go to those things. We have uh, pictures of some of the cosplay folks. You know, it's that just it's fun. Yeah. So speaking of new people, go ahead and tell everybody um, how people can get in touch with you, social media handles or or whatever you want to promote. So um, you can find us at our website, which is www.legendsofcalda.com. we're also our main Facebook page is uh, facebook.com slash legends of Calda. Um, and then you can follow us. I, I don't know what your handle is, but my, my uh, Facebook handle on there is uh, just Robert Zangari all together. Um, um, same thing on Instagram uh, and on Twitter. We do have uh, a legends of Calda Twitter page, uh, that we occasionally will make announcements on, but we're not as active on Twitter as we are on Facebook. So the majority of our interactions are through Facebook. Uh, if you, if anybody would like to get in touch, visit the contact page on our website or message the uh, Facebook page. And we try to respond to that um, quickly, but you know, with being a small press and ha- doing the writing and taking care of all the other business responsibilities, hmm. sometimes we don't get get to it as fast uh as we would like but that's where you can find us perfect well i appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to get on with me today it was oh thank you we loved it this is this is great we always love doing interviews thank you for listening to the troy podcast please subscribe like and share with your friends